You are listening to a podcast from Victory Alabang. Jesus' resurrection grants us the full acceptance of God. Discover the truth of Jesus' sacrifice in week two of The King in this message by Pastor Ayel Marquez. We are going through this series in The King, and today we are celebrating the most important event in Christian history, and that is the resurrection. Amen. And how many of you know and believe that Jesus is alive forevermore? Come on now. You can do better than that. You know, for those of you who were not here last week, we talked about Jesus being the humble king and how he was born in humble circumstances, that he was the king of heaven and he was ruling and reigning uh, in heaven and yet he decided to become man just like you and me, and he was humiliated. We've, uh, you know, we've seen what happened this week. Some of you are familiar with what happens, with what's happening during Holy Week, and you know this king that was born in a manger grew up, and he died the sin we should have died, and he lived the life we should have lived, and yet, you know, after he was buried on the third day, he rose again from the dead, and so that's what we're celebrating today. And we're going to be talking about the risen king today. Next week, we're going to be ending this uh, short series by talking about the returning king. And I believe that all of you are looking forward to one day seeing Jesus face to face. Now, of course, this is just an artist rendition. We don't really know if he looks like this when he, you know, when he rose from the dead. But that is a fact in history that indeed Jesus is alive forevermore. And how many of you know that because He is risen, we have victory over every area of our life? Amen. And so today, as we open up our, our Bibles, I'd like to invite everyone to stand up. We're just going to go ahead and dive into the Scriptures. We're going to be reading from our text this afternoon from John chapter 20. This is another account. We've, uh, you know, the video actually read from John, uh, Matthew chapter 28, but we'll be reading from the account of the Apostle John because after the Resurrection Sunday that morning, he actually showed an event or a a situation wherein the apostles or the disciples were gathered in a room and how Jesus appeared to the disciples for the first time with his resurrected body. And so we're going to be looking at John chapter 20, beginning from verse 1. Okay, just follow along with me. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Verse 2. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. And who was that disciple, the one that Jesus loved? John. Okay, and who wrote the book of John? John. Okay, so, yeah, he was, yeah, he's always like that, okay? Uh, he likes to think that he is the one really that Jesus loved. Anyway, so instead, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they had put him. Verse 3, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. So, sino bida? Si John, okay? She wrote this, okay? Kanya-kanyang trip yan, ba? And reached the tomb first. Verse 5, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Verse 6, then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, 
as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside and he saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary, everybody say, but Mary. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Verse 13, they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Now, let's fast forward to verse 19. Okay? On the evening of that first day of the week, same day, but this evening, when the disciples were together with the doors locked. Everybody say doors locked. With the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you so much that we are worshiping a living God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you not only died the death that we deserve, but you lived a life that we should have lived. And we thank you that after you died, you rose again from the, uh, from the grave. We thank you, Lord Jesus, even today, that you have empowered us, your children, your disciples, Lord God, to live a life that will bring honor and glory to the Father. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us a revelation once again to know you better today. Bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. You may all be seated. All right. Maybe some of you were here last week, and, you know, I gave an example of my youngest daughter uh, crying over her dead iPod, or iPad, rather. And, you know, she... Of course, she was glad that uh, you know, she, it was revived. And uh, last night, I was asking my two daughters before they, were, you know, before they slept, I was about to pray for them, and I just asked a question, do you know what resurrection is? And Anna, my eight-year-old, basically said, because she's about to go through Victory Weekend this, this week, and she's going to be baptized on Saturday, and she said, you know, resurrection really is Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And after the third day, he rose again from the dead. And how many of you know that truth? If an eight-year-old can know that, how, how about us? Okay, I believe all of us, right? We're so, we're so familiar with that truth. And so last night, as we were talking about the resurrection, my youngest daughter once again brought the, the issue of the iPad. And she said, Dad... How many days did my iPad die? <laughs> Three days? She, so I was kind of, you know, I, I knew for a fact what she was trying to point at. And I said, I can't remember, but maybe three days. Can you imagine that? Because just like Jesus, my iPad got resurrected from the dead. 
and we were just laughing last night. I said, I think you got it, okay? You got what resurrection means. And you know that is what resurrection really is? It's coming back, being alive, and then dying, and then coming back from the dead after several days. Now, if you died, you know, of course, you've probably heard some accounts of people dying, and after a few minutes coming back to life, that is not really resurrection, but that is resuscitation. It's just, you know, you pump them, I'm alive, you know. Did you see the light? I saw the light, you know. You know, it's, it's almost like they're dead, but they're not dead, okay? So it's coming back to life, but that's not the real resurrection. But what we're celebrating today is Jesus actually dying. He's, you know, if you're a doctor and you look at the tomb and you, if you check out the body of Jesus, you're going to declare him not just DOA, but really, really dead. Do you know what, what, you know what you mean by really, really dead? It means really, really dead. <laughs> you know, one time we, before, before living in Paranaque, my, my wife and I used to live in Mandaluyong. Doon sa labas, okay? Hindi sa loob. We used to live in Mandaluyong. We used to live in this one <clears throat> bedroom apartment. And, you know, being an old apartment... You can't help but to see small, cute little rodents running around. And my, you know, if you know my wife, my wife really hates mice. And so my assignment being the, the head of the house, being the one who's strong and brave, <laughs> is to catch these mice and to make sure that they are Really, really dead. And so I would set up traps, you know, in our kitchen, you know, sometimes there in the living room. And, you know, I would actually really find myself, when I wake up the next day, looking for a friend that's trapped. And whenever I would see a small mouse trapped there, you know, I would do my thing. Now, don't ask me how I do this. This is for the professionals. <laughs> so I would, you know, be like the local exterminator. And so I, I, I would end his life. And my wife would ask me, Are you sure he's dead? Love, this thing is dead. How dead? Really, really dead, you know. Well, when you say really, really dead, it means that he cannot go back to life. Do you get what I'm saying? Because you don't like a mouse that you, you know, somehow you know and assume that it's dead on a mouse trap, and the next thing that you, you know, find out, he's not there. <laughs> now, that's scary. <clears throat> it's either he got resurrected from the dead... Or maybe a cat ate him. Or I don't know, you know. But, you know, the whole point is this. Jesus was really, really dead. You know, he died. He was declared dead. That's why the disciples, when they were gathered in the upper room, they were fearful for their lives. They were together. And somehow, you know, I don't know what they were talking about, but maybe they're talking about, Maybe they're talking about the blunders they made. And maybe they're talking about, 
now the officials are going to run after us and the Roman government is going to run after us. And so maybe they're getting ready. One for all, all for one. I don't know what they're talking about. But somehow they're preparing for the inevitable. You know, if you look, like, if you, if you look at uh, the world's biggest religions, you know, the different founders of each religion basically have been memorialized. And that's how it is. You know, every time maybe there's a king, you know, like what the video said, if there's a king or maybe a politician who's very popular and famous, when that person dies, they would put him in a nice grave or a nice tomb and they would memorialize him or they would enshrine him, something like that. Now, like for example, the, the founder of Judaism is Abraham and his body actually was buried in what you call the cave of Machpelah. And this is where the different patriarchs are also buried. Like, it was, it's found actually in Hebron. You can read your Bibles there. It's not a secret, okay? The first person who was buried there was Sarah, the wife of Abraham. And then he was buried there. His son Isaac was buried there. His son Jacob was buried there. And so on and so forth. And so this is like the memorial, the shrine of the patriarchs. They're buried there. Their, body, uh, their bodies remain there. And they are remembered because of the good things that they have done. The founder of Islam, for example, Muhammad, is actually now buried in Medina, in Saudi Arabia. And this is, I don't know if this is a tomb, a mausoleum, or a temple, or a cathedral, or maybe a, a museum, or I don't know. It looks like a mansion or a castle. But that's the place where they enshrine, you know, Muhammad, the Prophet Muhammad, because he founded Islam. The founder of Buddhism, Buddha, what they did with his body was they actually cremated his body and his body was given to different parts or different believers. And so they divided the body, uh, you know, the ashes into different parts. And one particular part, which is really a tooth, is now based in Sri Lanka. And they've actually put a shrine for the tooth of Buddha and it's called the Temple of the Tooth. Now, literally, okay, this is, you know, this is a fact. You can actually research on this. And so they, they honor him for, for his life. And, you know, you'll find, you know, the remains, at least a portion of the remain of Buddha there, which is really a tooth, and they've enshrined the tooth of Buddha. But when you talk about Jesus, you know, five years ago, I went to Israel, and I happened to visit the garden tomb where the, according to the popular belief, that's where Jesus was buried. It's a few meters away from Golgotha, the cave or the skull where he was crucified. And the owner of that cave, of course we know the scripture, it's Joseph of Arimathea. And you'll, this is actually the site. This is the garden tomb. An ordinary cave with a hole in it. And you would see no shrine nor memorial and if you go and enter the cave, you will find at the back of the cave, it says there, He is not here for what? He is risen. Amen. How can you memorial or memorialize somebody who's not dead? Because we serve a God who is alive forevermore. Amen. And that is the Jesus that we worship. He's no longer dead. They can never find the body in the tomb. He's alive forevermore. Amen. And that is the God that we worship. 
it would have been nice, of course, you know, if he, he remained there, we would remember his teachings. You know, but that's not the Jesus that we serve. And if you look at Christianity, Christianity is not just about the teachings of Christ. We know that Jesus is a great teacher. You know, he's given wonderful sermons. And he's, you know, he's, you know if you are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, you know, many of his sermons are really, you know, very paradoxical in nature. The total opposite of what the world knows or, or you know, how, how, how people would, you know, act out. He's a great teacher, but yet Christianity is not focused or based or founded on the teachings of Christ. Jesus is a miracle worker. You know, we know that he healed the sick, he raised people from the dead, you know, he multiplied the bread and the fish, he fed 5,000, he fed 4,000 people, and, you know, he's a great miracle worker, but yet Christianity is not founded on the miracles of Christ. It is not even based on these miracles. It, you know, and, and I don't mean to trivialize this. These are important. His teachings and His miracles and His good works are important. But one can believe such and still remain to be a non-Christian. You can believe in the teachings of Christ and still be a non-Christian. You can believe in the miracles and the teachings and the good works of Jesus and still be a non-Christian. But there's one thing that you can never you know, do without, and that is the doctrine of the resurrection. If you are a believer, this is, the, this is what differentiates us from the rest. If you are a Christian, you've got to believe the doctrine of the resurrection because without the resurrection of Christ, there is no Christianity. If there's no resurrection, kumbaga sa Tagalog, nagkakabulahan lang tayo dito. The resurrection is the heart of Christianity. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote 13 of the 21 letters of the New Testament, said this, For what I received, I passed on to you of what? Of first importance. What he's saying is, guys, I'm going to write a lot of things, but of all the things I'm going to write, this is very important. Take note of this. And what did he say? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and what? That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that is important because you know what? You cannot resurrect unless you die, right? Simple lang naman yun eh. The prerequisite of you, you know, before you get resurrected is you have to die first. Now, how many of you want to be resurrected someday? We have to die first, Right? But I'm not asking you to die right now, okay? In the future, we're going to be dying. But yet, the promise of Jesus is also in the future. We'll also be having a resurrected body just like Him. Amen. And that is the promise of God. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand for that. <clears throat> because Jesus resurrected from the dead, we will also be resurrected from the dead. Verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and our faith is futile. So is your faith. You know, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, you're wasting your time coming to church. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. 
If Jesus did not rise from the dead, it doesn't matter whether you go to church or give in the offering or do good things. It doesn't matter. Our belief, our religion is futile. That's how important the resurrection of Christ is to our Christianity, to our belief and our doctrine. Amen. And going to the story very quickly. On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together, everybody say together. They were together. They were huddling up. You know, they were scared. It says when the doors were locked, they locked the doors. They made sure that nobody comes in. And they made sure that nobody goes out as well. They were fearful of the Jews because their founder, their leader is dead. Maybe they're next. They're thinking about that. What's going to happen here? But yet in the midst of their fear, what happened? Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Tell the person beside you, Peace be with you. Sagutin mo na rin, and also with you. Yeah. The doors were locked. Some of the things that we can see here from just one verse, the doors were locked. They, they locked the doors. But despite the doors being locked, Jesus did not need any key. He didn't knock on the door, ring on the bell, tap on the windows too, or whatever. He didn't do that. You know what he did? He just, ta-da! He was just there. The doors were locked, and Jesus just stood in the middle of the room. How did he do that? And he said to them, don't be afraid, I'm not a ghost. Look at my hands, look at my side, you touch it. And then they started touching it. He's as real as he can be. He's got a body, but it's not the ordinary, normal body that you have right now. Touch the person beside you. Okay, touch the person beside you. Normal ba yung body niya? Or you can feel that body beside you, right? And when he said to his disciples, touch me, they touched him, yeah. You have a body, but how can you go through the door? Because his body is more real than the door. That is the resurrected body of Jesus. Amen. And that's the body that you and I will have in the last day. When we'll all finally be resurrected. It's a forecast. It's a sneak peek of what we will have. You know, the doors were locked, the Bible says. You know, one insight that we can have here very quickly even if your doors are locked in your heart, in your, in your life, the deepest secrets in your life, there's no door that is too shut out to not let Christ in and Him penetrate that door. You may have your deepest, darkest secrets. You may have you know, been rejected in your past. You may have your problems right now. Guess what? There's no door that Jesus cannot open. And you cannot be reached by Christ because Jesus, because of His resurrected body, He can actually reach you where you are, anywhere you are, any time of the day. That's the beauty. This is the first time that He showed Himself risen from the dead to His disciples. The disciples were afraid. These guys walked with Him for three years. They knew Him for a fact. They, they heard His teachings. They heard the par- parables. And when they don't get the parables, Jesus gets to explain it to them. And yet at this 
particular point in their life, they're still scared. And how many of you sometimes, even as a Christian, you still feel scared? You're still afraid? There's still some, some fears that you have, maybe fear of the future, fear of uncertainty. Maybe some of you have fears of, you know, can I really provide for my family? Or fear, if you're a student, can I really graduate from college? Do I have enough for you who are singles? You know, do, do, do I, is, you know, will I find Mr. or Miss Wright, you know? But there's somebody in my office, Mr. and Miss Wright now. You know, there's so much fear that we have. And yet Jesus stands there among us. He came and stood among them and He addressed those fears. And when they saw Him and when they touched Him, guess what? They were filled with joy. Amen. All the fears and all the doubts will disappear every time we spend our, our, you know, our time with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And He gave them these three things. As He stood there, He basically said these three things. Very quickly, number one is, He gave them peace. He said, peace be with you. And He did not just say it once, He said it twice. In verse 19b, He said, Jesus came, stood among them, and He said, peace be with you. And then He said it again in verse 21, verse 20. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. What is this kind of peace that He's offering to the disciples? You know, every time, you know, I think last year was really a great year for the Philippines. We've had a lot of <clears throat> beauty uh, uh, finalists. Actually, they won the beauty contest. And we're so familiar with some of the things that, you know, the judges would ask. <clears throat> Excuse me. One basic uh, thing that... Can I just drink for a while? Peace. One of the basic things that judges would ask is, what is your desire for the world? And we've heard the question, we've heard the answer as well. You know, I, I pray for world peace. How many of you have heard of that answer? World peace. It's like a cliche already. Do you really understand what world peace is? Peace really starts from the heart of God. And in Ephesians chapter 2, it describes how Jesus becomes our peace. What he's offering to, to the disciples, not just world peace, he's offering them peace. Everybody say peace. Peace, man. Everybody do the victory sign. Peace. Yeah, peace. Healing natin pagamang picture tied about peace. Or, you know, I don't know what that means, okay? But somehow that is the universal sign of peace. And I believe that Jesus is offering peace to the disciples. Because there's so much fear and uncertainty in their hearts. Secondly, what he's really offering is a reconciliation between them and God the Father. Because our sins, our iniquities have separated us from God. You know, holiness, without holiness, the Bible says, no one can see God. And we are people who are objects of wrath. And if we don't get reconciled, guess what? We're going straight to hell. And that's exactly what Jesus offered to them. He, for He Himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier. There was a barrier between us and God. The dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in His flesh 
the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in his one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. Jesus indeed is the Prince of Peace. He is the only one who's qualified to bring us together and reconcile us back to God because of what He did on the cross. That is what brought us peace. And not only that, in verse 18 it says, For through Him we both have what? Access. Everybody say access. We have access to the Father by one Spirit. Not only did He remove the hostility or the wrath of God from us or to us, but He also reconciled us back to Him, that He gave us access. You know, gone are the days that you have a dial-up. You know, if you have a dial-up phone in your home, you know, God have mercy on you. you know, but nowadays we have, you know, I don't know, maybe at least 5 Mbps. You know, we have, you know, we have this high-speed uh, internet connection. Some of your houses have fiber optics. And can you imagine if you... If you're praying to God, and if on the other end you hear this statement, thank you for calling your Heavenly Father's house, your call will be monitored for quality assurance. Please select one of the following options. Press 1 for prayer requests. Press 2 for prayers of thanksgiving. Press 3 for prayers containing complaints. Press 4 for all other prayers. I'm sorry, all of our agents are busy helping other sinners right now. However, your prayers are important to us and will be answered in the order received. So please stay on the line. If you would like to leave a voice message for God the Father, press 1 now. Jesus Christ, press 2 now. The Holy Spirit, press 3 now. If you would like to hear King David singers sing a psalm while you're holding, press 4 now. Our computers indicate that you have already prayed once today. Please hang up and try again tomorrow. This office is closed on weekends and any public holiday. Please pray again between 9.30 a.m. and 4.30 p.m., Monday through Friday, except holidays. If you need an emergency assistance, please contact your local pastor. Can you imagine that? I mean, aren't you glad that we don't have to go through all that, amen, to access the Father? Because Jesus gave us peace. He gave us reconciliation back to the Father. He gave us a direct access. To God. And I believe that the reason why he was speaking peace to his apostles and disciples is maybe some of them are condemning themselves. Peter could not look at him because he denied him three times. Peter, I don't know. I don't know what he was talking about. But if I was Jesus, Peter, you know, 70 times seven. You know, he was speaking peace and reconciliation to his disciples. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us what? Peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And this is the song we were singing a while ago. 
You know, I was really just tearing up a while ago, just appreciating the greatness and the goodness of God because of the sacrifice. And we think that we got it all for free. This peace that Jesus offers is a free gift to each and every one of us. But guess what? He paid a high price to get this peace. The Bible says the punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, and by His stripes, we are healed. You know, this punishment, His, you know, His going to the cross basically gave us forgiveness. And we were made righteous before God. And if you look at righteousness, righteousness means having a perfect record. It also is equivalent to justification. It comes from the same Greek word, Dikona, dikonos, or dikonos, yeah. And, you know, it means having a perfect record. It's as if just if I'd never sinned. How many of you can say that you never sinned in your whole life? Can you please raise your hand. You never, never sinned in your whole life. Anybody here? You're perfect. Anybody here who's righteous? And when you talk about righteousness, righteousness means having a perfect moral record. It means that you've obeyed every commandment that God gave us. How many of you, you know, obeyed every commandment that God gave? Anybody here who's totally justified and totally righteous, guess what? Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, you can actually say that you are totally righteous and totally justified. Amen. Come on, you have a perfect record before God the Father. It means that when you face God, God is not going to reject us. God is saying, because of what my son Jesus did, you are fully accepted in my company. That is what justification and righteousness means. Just imagine students going to class every day. Even if you don't study, you get a perfect score. You went to the party last night, and then you took an exam, perfect. Without any effort, you took the exam, ready recitation, perfect. That's a crude picture of who we are in Christ. When we face God because of what Jesus Christ did, because of the peace that He gave us, guess what? You and I are perfect before the Father. Amen. Look at the person beside you and tell that person, you look perfect. Look lang, look lang. Hindi ka talaga perfect, mukha ka lang perfect. The reality is when Jesus, when God the Father looks at us, He doesn't see you straight. He sees Jesus in you. And Jesus is the one who covers us with His righteousness, covers us with His blood, and makes us perfect, as white as snow, as if we've never sinned, as if we've obeyed every single command that God gave us. From the time we were born, until today. That is what Jesus gave us on the cross. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says, He was delivered over to death for our sins. He had to die for our sins. And He was raised to life for our what? Justification. Justified, never sinned. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? Peace with God. Through whom? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not because of what you do, 
not because of you attending the church, not because of you attending a small group or giving in the offering. Thank God that you are a generous church, but that's not what qualifies us to have peace. It's only because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Peace is what he first said to the disciples. Secondly, he spoke purpose. Everybody say purpose. And we know this, we're familiar with this. We're familiar with the vision statement that we've always said. And he said this, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. There is a sending forth. Two-thirds of the name of God is go. G-O. Go. Tell the person beside you and tell the person, go. Not yet. Right now, okay? Wait. Go. Actually, Jesus, when he was showing himself to the disciples, he's basically giving them a charge. As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. And what was the purpose of Jesus when the Father sent him? Of course, you will see this in different parts of the Scripture. In Matthew 1, it says that Jesus came to forgive people, of their, to save people from their sins. Another uh, versions, or another verse basically says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. But in John chapter 12, verse 27, it says, I came for this very hour to glorify the Father. And that's exactly what Jesus has come here on earth for. That is to glorify the name of God. If you look at the Westminster, uh, Westminster Catechism, it says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You and I are called to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Wherever you are, you don't have to be a pastor. Jesus is not recruiting for you to become a full-time minister. You know, when He said this, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Come and join the full-time staff of victory. No, He's not saying that. Wherever you are, I am sending you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Because you have experienced the resurrection power of Jesus. Go and glorify me wherever you are. Glorify me in the call center. Glorify me in your school. Students, come on, raise up your grace and let them be resurrected with the power of Jesus. In Jesus' name. It's time for them to rise up. Glorify Him wherever we are. You're a housewife, glorify Him as you raise up your, your children and you help your husband. You're a business person, glorify Him in the way you do your business. You're, you're, you're a medical doctor, glorify Him in the way you do your operation. You're a pilot, glorify Him as you fly that plane and pray that it will not crash in the Indian Ocean. <laughs> glorify Him. You know, I believe that God will anoint every one of us. And He said in Matthew 28, Therefore, Go and make disciples of what? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And I want to end with this. He not only gave us peace, He gave us purpose, and He gave us power. Everybody say power. power. And the final thing that Jesus told His disciples, and with that, He breathed on them, and He said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus was preparing to leave them he was about to be ascended to the Father, but yet He's saying, but wait, there's more. As I leave you guys, there's somebody who is just like me. The Holy Spirit is not a force. 
He's not a thing. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is God Himself, the Holy Spirit, the one who will give you gifts, the one who will give you power, the one who will anoint you, the one who will enable you. And He said this before He went to heaven in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my what? My witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria. Basically what he's saying is, you will testify about me. You will talk to people about my goodness. And I believe that all of us, every time we have a great experience in a restaurant, maybe discovered a new product, or maybe you know, watched a nice movie, what do you do? You talk about it to people. You Instagram it. You post it on your Facebook. I oh, love it. You buy, you know, whatever restaurant it is or whatever food it is. Hashtag best, best resto. You know, you know, can you, if you can do that to food, how much more the Lord Jesus who died on the cross for us, resurrected on the dead, from the dead on the third day, and He gave His life for us. Amen. God is calling each and every one of us to be His witness. To testify, to testify about, it, about Him. John Piper said this, the work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives is that He makes us able to do what we are simply not able to do on our own. That's the Holy Spirit. He enables us to do things that on our own we cannot do. Because it's not about us. Look at the person beside you, the other person. It's not about you. It's about the Holy Spirit living in you. And this Holy Spirit is the one that raised Jesus from the dead. This power, the dunamis power that raised Jesus' dead body. He was the one also that helped in the resurrection of Christ. King Jesus' resurrection brought us peace, purpose, and power. We hope you were inspired by that message. For more podcasts, Download the Victory Alabang app for Apple or Android devices. And for updates, do join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you, and stay connected.